Welcome to the third episode of Breaking Down Barriers, a podcast for entrepreneurship community practitioners. This podcast is a production of Startup Space, an entrepreneurship community building platform. I'm your host, David Panraj. Today, we'll be speaking with James Fegan. Welcome, James. Thank you. So, James, give us a quick introduction about your work and tell us what you're working on. Yes, so I'm the Chief Strategist for Projects and People. We're an economic mobility strategy firm based out of Detroit. Uh, We've spent about seven years uh, working in earnest directly in our entrepreneurial ecosystem. Uh, And prior to that, I had a career that spanned um, a lot of work at the neighborhood grassroots level in community development and education. So, you know, been an entrepreneur, been a teacher, uh, but really got going in economic development and consulting uh, about seven years ago. In that time, I've really been working to build out a lot of our direct service support to entrepreneurs and connecting the dots between funding and goals and folks on the ground and job creation and wealth creation. Perfect. And tell us about where you do the work and, you know, what is the reach of your work? Uh, So for the first couple of years, I was pretty exclusively in Detroit, just really working in the trenches to help or kind of spend a lot of time on elevators, I best you could say, between the trenches and the ivory tower. So whether it was a corporation or a foundation or city government that said, okay, this is a goal we want to achieve and we've got some funds to do it. Uh, but we don't necessarily have the program mechanism, the the relationship infrastructure, and the just methodology around actually making sure that the dollars and, and resources that we have reach our target audience in a consistent way, a sustainable way, and a um, representative way. And so in plain English, because you know, we spend a lot of time in our jargon world, it's when NEI had been around for about seven years, the, excuse me, the New Economy Initiative, there was a pool of funding in Detroit comprised of 11 major foundations that was focused on the new economy. And they had built a lot of incubator space and seeded a lot of funds and CDFIs, uh, but noticed that the, the entrepreneurs that were being served didn't necessarily fully reflect the pool of entrepreneurs in Detroit in the way that they wanted to. Um, and so they came up with a small business challenge called Any Ideas, and I came on board to help uh, design that program as well as design the outreach strategy. And that really helped us, you know, solicit 600 applications citywide in year one with a 400-word application that you did not have to touch a computer to fill out. So tell us a little bit more about your work with the New Economy Initiative. Uh, you just briefly mentioned that. What is the work that you've been doing recently with them, especially through COVID-19? Yeah, so, you know, our relationship grew from that first year of Any Ideas. We did five years of it, distributed about $3 million in grants to over 144 businesses, but also had over 3,000 applicants. And so we, the broader goal was to work and connect those applicants to resources. And that was always the goal, even from the beginning that we would have some people win the challenge, but a lot more entrepreneurs that didn't win, but still had ideas to grow and needed to be connected to resources. So we did uh, a lot of technical assistance, connecting and matchmaking over that course of that five years. And then we did um, an alumni series to really help all of the winners grow. And then from there, NEI wanted to do a storytelling campaign 
uh, that would really work to kind of tell the story of entrepreneurship in Detroit over the last decade, but also, you know, take that inspiration and then connect it to a catalog of resources. So we did that through a campaign called In Good Co. Detroit, um, launched the campaign, and then that's when uh, you and I started working together uh, as we selected Startup Space as the back end of this storytelling campaign to, to corral those resources and catalog them to figure out how to really make this a seamless connection and a functioning tool that could, to some degree, automate some of the processes and relationships that, you know, are very important, but very laborsome. Um, and then post-COVID are challenging to sustain. So let's uh, shift a little focus uh, to an area that we wanted to get your thoughts on and some of your experiences. What does inclusion and diversity in entrepreneurship mean to you? I work in other cities, but, you know, I started in Detroit and Detroit's a city that's 80% African-American. So for me, it just simply means making sure that the opportunities for being in business and growing in business reflect the population of the city in which I'm from and in which I work. In terms of how you do that, you know, I think diversity means making sure that the talent at organizations uh, reflects the community that you're serving, and not just in, in, in physical appearance, but in thought. You know, are there folks who really understand the city who aren't all necessarily from the same college or even from college altogether? You know, valuing those different thought processes, including entrepreneurs themselves, in the solution-making process. Inclusion for me then comes back to those barriers. A lot, we, we've seen over the past few months, for example, with Paytech Protection, you can build a system that may not be intentionally excluding a group of people, but by default of several you know, existing factors can very much do that. And so a lot of processes that were built with the best of intentions or maybe not necessarily the best of intentions haven't led to the outcomes uh, that we need to see, particularly in a city like Detroit. So for me, that's about understanding how those, how the design of those processes, how that information flow um, creates barriers and working to actively eliminate those barriers and measuring your effectiveness, not just on how much money you get out the door or how many success stories you have, but who and, and how you can map that out and having you know, representative pools of winners that, that really look like the community that you serve. Can you tell me, have you seen an ecosystem that supports inclusion and diversity well? Or even do you know a story of where you've seen it work well? I mean, you know, that's a tricky question because I think if you work, you're not satisfied, right? I don't think there's anybody who would stand up and say, we did it, you know, everything's perfect. But you know, I'm very proud of my city. I'm very proud of the work we've done. Um, when you look at some of the programs I've helped support, whether it was Motor City Match or Any Ideas or Detroit Demo Day, uh, you can literally take the picture of the winners and, and there are people who can see themselves in those pools of folks, the types of businesses, where they live, where they're from, who they are. It, we have representative pools of folks that receive resources through the programs that we build. An extension of that question is, what are some on-ramps that those programs had that made it successful to make those programs more inclusive? 
I think the first one starting with with any ideas was a simple application. You know, a lot of entrepreneurs in Detroit are either solo practitioners or really involved in their business and don't necessarily have a COO and, and a bunch of other staff people to pull together a ton of documentation and to compete for funding. And so if you have a process that requires that much information just to compete for something, you're not going to get a representative pool of folks to respond. Um, we also, back in 2014, you know, we had a great website. We had a great digital tool where you could go in and submit. But we created a complete analog process, a paper application. The application was only 400 words. We had 25 ambassador locations that served a really key purpose of, number one, just being trusted voices to kind of vouch for the fact that, yes, this nonprofit, you know, foundation is actually going to award money directly to small businesses, and we want small businesses like you to participate, so that intentionality in the information chain was critical. And then each of those 25 ambassadors does host info sessions, and they housed and collected paper applications and help the entrepreneurs fill them out. So, you know, you take those three or four things, right? The, the, the entrepreneurs usually, you know, that, that reflect the lack of, lack of inclusion. A, I don't know that this thing is happening. So we worked very hard to make sure with our street teams and our canvassing and our media outreach and our ambassador networks to just spread the word as wide, how far and wide as possible. Number two, once you came into contact with the process, it didn't seem so arduous that you said, man, there's no way I can do this. So, you know, when you say, hey, 400 words could win you $10,000, you know, you're starting with a pretty fair proposition to people to say, I'm not going to make you jump through a bunch of hoops and spend 10 hours applying for this with the chance that you might or might not win. You know, we didn't need to get everything from everybody up front. As we kind of whittle things down to, the finalists, then we could come back and ask for a bit more information to provide a bit more support. But that initial front door was about collecting as many ideas as possible and connecting with as many people as possible. So tell me a little bit more about 2008, how the recovery happened from 2008, and then what seemed like an upswing. And then with COVID-19 hitting us, uh, there's going to be a lot of businesses impacted uh, walk me through that timeline from 2008 to maybe 2018. And then what do you think the future looks like for the small business community in Detroit? Well, you know, I think I'd, I'd be remiss if I didn't say that some folks who still haven't recovered from 2008. Yeah. Um, and so that's just something that I'm always mindful of, too, even as we tout our success. Uh, but what you did start to see in 2008 in Detroit was just an awareness that our future economy was not going to survive if it was all about, you know, landing factories with a thousand jobs. If there were people who were getting laid off who were not going to get called back and we needed to have other options for them. Uh, and for the existing businesses that were already here that needed some help, you know, learning how to compete as the city, you know, was starting to shift in, in, in expectations on how we did business. And that there were a lot of folks with great ideas who weren't able to do some of the cool early things that were happening early on because they didn't have the wealth behind them uh, to just jump in. So a lot of the work that was started back in 08 was just in trying to 
level the playing field and create more infrastructure here to have an entrepreneurial ecosystem. Okay, now you had a tech town, you had, you know, an Invest Detroit, but we hadn't necessarily done the messaging or the design to make it inclusive and welcoming. Uh, and so that's where, you know, any ideas was really catalytic and starting to do that, where some of the funding started to flow, not just to the nonprofit infrastructure, but to entrepreneurs themselves. And that just created a culture of accessibility where you said, okay, if I'm an expiring small business and owner in Detroit, I don't need to have a rich uncle or I don't have to liquidate my 401k or use my credit cards. Someone is saying, if I write a 400 word application, they're going to give me $10,000 to implement my idea. And so, you know, and, and that was for anybody citywide with a focus on folks who have been here. Once that happened, it really started to shift the culture. And then, you know, the mayor came along and we had another program called Hatch. A lawyer who had come back from Chicago, who's a Detroit native, you know, had said, I'm going to put up $50,000 to help open a retail business. And that was a very good catalytic process. The mayor kind of wanted to put that on steroids and said, I want to do half a million dollars every 90 days to open businesses in the city. And so, you know, going into 2015, we were tasked with building that. Uh, because what you had was a lot of vacant retail inventory throughout the city. Some of it needed to be torn down, but some of it, if people had money and had the wherewithal, you could actually go in and open up a retail location without, you know, having to build a building or even own a building. Um, you just needed help with the build out and design and architectural drawings and permits and all of that. So we built a program to really facilitate that process from idea to open. Um, and Motor City Match, you know, over the, the, the 14 rounds that I was involved in it, was wildly successful in really just promoting the idea that if you had the idea and the passion, we could help you get there. And we didn't just, you know, we built out a process that had four uh, levels to it so that we could develop our own pipeline. So you didn't have to already come in capitalized with architectural drawings and your own money. You could just start with, I want to open a business and here's my idea. And so every 90 days, we award 50 business plans and we pay for people to go through a business plan course. And then once you did that, we take the top 25 businesses and match them with the top 25 vacant properties so that you could go through understanding like, okay, I have an idea of what I want to do, but I don't know if I need 500 square feet or 5,000 square feet. And I don't know if my rent should be, you know, $22 a square foot or $9 a square foot. And what's a fair rate based on what part of the city I'm in? How do I negotiate a lease? How do I have access to, you know, an attorney and some support to help me figure those things out so that I'm not signing a lease. I'm starting to pay rent on day one when I got a six month build out and then the person I'm working with doesn't even own the building. So we really hope to help to fill a lot, you know, a lot of those information gaps um, that were that were pitfalling a lot of entrepreneurs that were sinking lots of money and time into projects that weren't going anywhere that were taking them away from their ability to actually open their businesses and operate. And then from there, we help fill the gap on, you know, now that you found a space, what does it take to actually get that space permitted and designed and open? So we actually funded seven architects each quarter to go on and work with a small business and produce drawings and produce a budget 
where then now you've got, okay, I got this space. I've got this business. I know what I want to do. I know where I want to do it. Now I need $50,000 to convert this space. And then we would do a matching grant for that $50,000. And you wouldn't have to come up with the other 25 on your own. We'd have a deal-making session and bring banks and CDFIs to the table and have everyone work together to get this business open and keep it open. Wow. That's amazing. And what was the overall impact from that? Did you guys have a chance to measure that? Yeah, you know, pre-COVID, you know, and I, I ended up moving on from that program at the end of 2018. But the last stats I saw were, you know, about $5 million in direct grant funding had leveraged over $40 million in private investment, created well over a thousand jobs. And you look at the numbers of entrepreneurs that we were serving, and the numbers of businesses that were open, it just, it completely started to transform neighborhoods. Go to certain corridors now, and there's six or seven Motor City Match businesses within a square mile on one block. Um, and there's tons of people who will say, you know, if not for this program, I wouldn't have got open. Or if not for this program, I wouldn't have found a quality tenant. Um, and it's, it's created some real success stories. It just created a momentum where even businesses that ended up not going through the entire program found resources and information by either participating in one track or just the amount of info that we were sharing. And, and, and you just seeing every 90 days, wow, the city's putting out half a million dollars to open businesses in Detroit. There's, and they're succeeding. And so it went from some of the old narrative about Detroit, of doom and gloom, lack of investment, no opportunity here, uh, to you now just seeing, you know, constantly Black Detroiters and Detroiters from, you know, new Detroiters coming in or other folks who had lived here, people in Southwest Detroit, all kinds of different business owners from all kinds of different backgrounds, just going. It was a culture. It was a movement, you know, and so when you started to layer all these different things, any ideas, Motor City Match, Detroit Demo Day, uh, all programs that we were fortunate enough to be you know, co-architects or ghostwriters for, um, it just really shifted the narrative about what was happening here. And, you know, I could show you the data on the programs, but one thing I'll say is our biggest eyesore was the Michigan Central Station. You know, every once in a while, the New York Times do an article on Detroit and it'd show this huge, empty, abandoned building. So when I got invited to the press announcement that Ford Motor Company was buying it, what they talked about was, the energy that the small businesses in the city, and in particular in Court Town and Southwest Detroit, were already infusing into the neighborhood with their work. And so there were several businesses that had won some of those grants that had contributed to filling some of those vacant storefronts, creating some of that momentum, you know, making some of those neighborhoods cool, um, that, that really helped catalyze and support uh, a development like that. And to be fair too, there were, there were other businesses that started before, you know, before these programs, but those businesses then gave a beacon for Motor City Match businesses to say, hey, if this, you know, if, if Slow's Barbecue can come into Court Town to work and Mercury Bar can come in and work and Gold Cash Gold can come in and work, then maybe I can come in and I can launch my business. And uh, it all just started to add up. Was there inclusivity as part of the design of a lot of these programs or was some of this just an outcome of the programming support? Was there any conversations early on that we need to make this 
uh, inclusive and equitable? Absolutely. I mean, to put it bluntly, that's why I was called. Um, the track record that we had, you know, when we came in and, and launched any ideas, you know, the pool of applicants over, you know, 70% people of color, over 60% women entrepreneurs, um, and then being able to not just have that pool of applicants, but that pool reflected in the winners. It demonstrated that you, you and for being honest here, some folks who don't know will be concerned that when you talk about diversity, that somehow you're, you're talking about giving folks a handout or you're sacrificing quality or you're sacrificing talent or you're, you're making a riskier investment. And so really, we really took that as a challenge to say, no, there's folks out there, you're just not connected to them. And, and a lot of them, um, just you know, some of the best talent out there aren't looking for grants and they don't have faith in this process because historically these processes haven't worked for them. So a lot of it was brokering to say, hey, trust us to go get you the right folks that can be success stories. And then going to the success stories and saying, trust us to make this process work for you. And so as we were able to bridge that gap and get that going, you know, you started to see businesses that were, you know, pioneers and early adapters to saying, you know what, I'm gonna give this grant nonprofit thing a try. You know, they're really giving money to folks like us. The process is a bit tedious, but it's worth it in the end and they honestly support me. And then as, you know, early on, it might be me trying to convince you, but then eventually all I had to do is make sure I showed you this success story. So it became less about me and more about you knowing what was going on. And so us promoting those winners, promoting those examples, whether it was Narrowway Coffee or, you know, I, I draw a blank, there's hundreds of, of businesses that did well that folks could look at and say, if they could do it, I could do it too. So what does the recovery with COVID look like? You know, it, it's been an interesting 10 years these last six months. I look and, you know, definitely in the beginning, it was fear, it was panic. Um, there was anger, there was sadness because I watched, you know, years of work be threatened in days. Um, and a lot of the same businesses we had just opened that hope we had just worked to create, you know, folks now found themselves literally putting everything they had, time, money, energy, belief, into a small business that was now, you know, whether it was by, you know, governor's order or just by the fact that consumers were fearful to go out and do business. And so how do you pivot your business model in a day while also trying to protect your workforce and trying to protect your family and yourself? And so the, you know, the things that we know about the, the racial wealth gap and about, you know, first time entrepreneurial challenges really just came to bear on Detroit extremely hard where the, you know, sometimes the health disparities showed up, the, you know, folks that who were committed to opening businesses in neighborhoods and hiring folks in neighborhoods now find found themselves with at-risk pools of employees and at-risk pools of customers. And so how can you safely do business when people you care about have their lives threatened? Um, and the information that was coming out was, you know, it, it was very hard early on for that information to get to folks in the right way. 
And that's where we saw an opportunity coming back to Ingrid Co. where, you know, initially we were trying to tell these happy stories um, of inspiration, but folks were just trying to survive. And so we were able to come in and provide a great resource for a lot of the frontline ecosystem partners to say, you guys just do, do the work. We'll aggregate all the information. We'll create the daily update of what grants are available and analysis on the CARES Act and who's hosting this webinar and that webinar. Um, and so it was really a, a vital time for us to do that and just provide information, uh, which is a really, really, really valuable commodity uh, for anyone. And it's often hard for, for small business owners and first generation business owners to have the same level of access to information as some of the larger corporations. So last question, tell us what, as practitioners of entrepreneurship, we can do to make sure that our programs and the work we do is inclusive and equitable. You cannot work in silos. You've got to have a network. You've got to be able to value all the different types of businesses. You know, we have a tendency to go after the, the shiny, sexy thing, right? We want the next Uber. We want the next startup space, you know, but, and, and those things are valuable and they're great, but don't trivialize that barbershop. Don't trivialize that home daycare or that person who is, you know, that restaurant that's been there for a few years, you know, may not look for much on the outside, but without that restaurant, there's five or 10 people in the neighborhood that don't have another job to get to. And there's people that don't have another place to eat. And with the right support, you know, that restaurant could not only continue to serve those folks, but become something that actually attracts new people to the neighborhood, but that business is able to thrive and capture on that instead of not having the funds to spruce themselves up and on the exterior and the interior to move forward. So, you know, just valuing, you know, the existing businesses, learning how to kind of land everything together and, and just properly um, being thoughtful about the type of, of community that you're trying to create and nurture. How can people find out more about your work? Uh, so projects-people.com is our, our website. Um, you can find us at Projects and People Detroit on Instagram and on uh, Twitter. Um, and then my email is james at projects-people.com. It's a pleasure speaking with you today, James. We look forward to bringing you back at some point and hearing about the recovery with COVID and uh, the work that you've been doing uh, all along. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Breaking Down Barriers, a podcast for entrepreneurship community practitioners hosted by David Ponraj. Special thanks to James Fegan for joining us. Cover art by show manager and creative director Mackenzie Bell Fisher. Edited and produced by Lauren Bernard. If you'd like to suggest interviews, new topics, or just want to reach out, please email us at podcast at startupspace.app. All Breaking Down Barriers episodes are available on our website or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Please feel free to rate, review, and subscribe for all the latest updates.